Welcome to the Living Faith Missionary Church Podcast. You're about to listen to a message from Pastor Chris Starn, Senior Pastor at Living Faith in Yoder, Indiana. It is our prayer that this message is an encouragement and a blessing to your life. Got your Bibles. Turn to the book of Isaiah. What are you passionate about? You know, there are many people who are passionate about football, sports. There are some who are passionate about music. There are some who are passionate about working in the yard. I'm kind of passionate about that until I have to start doing it and get tired of doing it. But I'm passionate about growing things. People are passionate about working with their hands, building things. And what that's called, in reality, is being zealous for something. Having, having this passion that almost like it, it, it envelops you. You get excited about it. If somebody, somebody asks you a question about it, you're right on it. You just love talking about it. You love doing it. You love being involved in it. Well, we're going to see today in the verses, we're going to find out today what God is zealous for. And he is very, very zealous. You know, some people think that when they look at Jesus, that they like to think of Jesus as this meek and, yeah, he had that mild kind of, you know, he had that one time in the temple where he got a little upset, you know. And yes, Jesus is meek and he is mild and he is kind and loving. But I, I don't think that description of him is a complete description of him it, it leaves some things it lacks this complexity of the wholeness of who god really is understand that god is zealous for you his zealousness is for us for his children for people to he wants people to come to him he wants people to worship him he wants people to want to be with him he wants people to to learn about him He wants people to worship Him. All that God is going to accomplish in our life, and all that He's going to accomplish in all of creation, is being accomplished because of His zeal, because of His passion. See, because passion, when you're passionate about something, it's just not that you, oh, I kind of enjoy that. No, it is your heart. It comes from deep inside of you. And the zeal of God comes from the very heart of the Lord of hosts. And what God is doing in creation, and, and, and even in the midst of all the things that are going on in this world, I, I've been... I've been, I've been studying a lot of prophecy. I've been studying a lot of, of history of places. I've been studying, looking at how God has worked through history and where we're at today and things going on in the Middle East, things going on in Ukraine and all these countries in Europe. And I, and I see that, that God in his zealousness is pushing creation towards the triumph of his grace. And finally, what's going to happen is it's going to be accomplished in the kingdom to come. And it's his zealousness that's going to do it. We have to realize that that we cannot achieve victory of God in this world. You and I cannot force the world to believe in Christ. The church tried. 
It's called the Inquisition. They tried to convert the Jews to Christianity. It doesn't work. We, there's nothing we can do to force it to happen. It doesn't mean we don't do things to share the gospel. But it's, in fact, even in that, that's the zealousness of God working through us to accomplish his work. But you and I, in our own humanness, cannot force the world and force there to be a victory on God's side in this world. Oh, we, we might win some battles at times. We do. And many times, hopefully, the battles we're winning in our own lives... As we, as we put sin to death and as we, as we conquer, as we repent and we try to eliminate the sin in our lives and our, con- and our, our victory over temptation. But I'll be honest with you, and I've talked about this in the last few weeks, I, I'm not so sure that we trust God enough. I'm not so sure that we trust his plan. We look at the, the world, looks at what's going on in the world, we, we, get, we get concerned because, boy, this is, this is, this is getting bad, but... If, the, if God in his passion is pushing us towards his glory, we have nothing to fear. We have nothing to worry about. God's got this. It's all in his hands. It's all in his plan. But I'm afraid that in the churches today, too few people truly trust God. And while this, at times, you know, coming from the pastor may seem like a defeatist attitude, and, and believe me, sometimes I get discouraged because I don't trust God enough. My, in my humanness, I begin to, I, I start to try to, to do things on my own, and, and I realize I'm not trusting Him enough. I'm not, and, and I get worked up about something. I get, I get zealous about the wrong thing. I realize, wait a minute, I'm not trusting God in this. I'm not trusting God to, to work this out either apart from me or in spite of me or through me. But see, God can achieve his and our victory because, understand, when we talked last week about a divided heart, God's heart is not divided. It's full. That's why he wants us to have an undivided heart. See, one day, you and I, if you're, if you're a believer in Christ, if you've, if you've repented and you've put your trust in him for your salvation, you and I one day will stand before him and we will, we will, we will worship in his glory and perfection. We will glorify him in the perfection and we will honestly say that it wasn't us that did this. I didn't do this. I didn't do this. God did this. God did this. It was God's zealousness and of his grace that triumphed over evil. Not me. Now in Hebrews, the word we translate as zeal means this ardor, this zeal, or almost a jealousy. We think of jealousy as a negative thing, you know, one person's jealous about somebody else. But in, in this idea of zeal, it's not a bad thing. It's just, it's just God, because God understands he is jealous for his grace and his mercy. He's jealous against sin. And this is, it's interesting because this word in Hebrew is very similar to an Arabic word. And the Arabic word means to become intensely red. Now, what happens when you get angry, right? You get red. Red in face, at least you feel like it. You get all heated up and, you know. It's that idea, though. 
It's just turning red in the face because you're intensely emotional. That's this idea in Arabic. Now, this, in Scripture, this word is used many times in Proverbs, and what it's used in Proverbs is to describe a husband's jealousy for the love of his wife. I'll be honest with you, I'm a jealous man. I see somebody looking at my wife, I have a problem. It's partially because of what I've gone through in earlier parts of my life. God is jealous for us. When we, when, we, when we fall to temptation, God is jealous because we're turning from him. We're turning from what we should want to what we think we want that's going to lead us away from him. And he's jealous for that. He's jealous of us, jealous for us, not of us, but for us. In the Song of Solomon, it describes this love that burns in the heart of a bride and a groom. In Ecclesiastes, it describes it as this envy of human effort. Zeal. What zeal is, zeal is this fire that burns within us. So what are you zealous for? In your life, what are you zealous for? In Deuteronomy, it describes God, says, For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. And we're going to find out in Isaiah, that's what's driving God. His zealousness drives him. What we're going to see in Isaiah is we're going to, we're going to catch this idea of a remnant. You've probably heard of this idea of a remnant. If you haven't, um, a remnant is, this, is a, 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 in a group of, usually a group of people, a group of things. You will take a portion of it and you'll keep it aside so that it stays pure and, and goes forward. So there's a remnant that's, that's introduced here in this book of uh, the book of Isaiah in these chapters. Because see, what has happened is, is that the, the Israelites have chosen to resist the blessings of God. They have chosen to turn to, to idols, to the religions, to worshiping idols of the pagans around them. It's a pattern. They've been doing it from the start. They did it when they first came out of Egypt, and they kept doing it all the way through those 40 years in the desert, and they continue to do it continually as they're going into the promised land. And they're still doing it in the time of Isaiah. No, there's times when it's not as bad. And that kind of shows the zealousness of God. He doesn't give up easily. In his zealousness, he pursues us. And he's pursuing the Israelites. He's given them all the possibilities, all the chances. So what God has done is God has chosen from those people a remnant that will remain faithful. Now, the, the idea of a remnant is not just this Jewish Old Testament idea. Today, many people profess that they're Christians and that they put their trust in Christ without any preconditions. They, they've, what they've done is they've, they've actually said that this, what we should do is put our trust in Christ without any preconditions. But there are people who, who are in the church today, in churches, and I don't mean this church, I mean church in general, who, who say they're believers in Christ and say that they put their trust in God, but they've placed conditions on it to God. Well, I'll believe in God as long as this happens. You know, we sang, blessed be the name of the Lord, because the idea is, is that whether we're having a good day or whether we're having a bad day, God still needs to be glorified. We take the good and the bad. 
The problem is, is in, in, in churches, and it's been this way, I mean, because we look, we look at the book of Revelation, John, Jesus is talking to one of the churches and says, you're, you're lukewarm. You're lukewarm. And that's what happens when we, when we approach God with preconditions on whether or not we're going to believe in Him and trust in Him. These are false Christians. They don't know Christ. Jesus talked about these people in Matthew 7. It says, On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. See, there's this, we, we need to make sure that we're not lukewarm, that we're not letting other things take the zealous, our zealousness to not have it focus on other things in this world. We need to be passionate. We need to be jealous towards God. We need to be zealous for the things of God. But see, God is going to, He's going to preserve a trusting group of people who not only outwardly show that they are believers in Christ, but also inwardly know that they believe and trust in Christ. Now this, this remnant is not going to be this group of super spiritual people. They're not the elites of the, spiritual, of, the, of the spiritual people who look down on others because they're the ones who are perishing. In fact, if you know someone who doesn't believe in Christ, you should be, you should be passionate to lead them, to at least share the gospel with them once because the path they're on they're going to, it's going to lead them to hell. And it should break our hearts to know that there are a lot of people in this world who, who will not be in heaven because they don't trust in Christ. But see, those who are part of the remnant will be the ones who will have the zealousness to live by faith in God. So how do we know? How do we know if we're part of the remnant? Let's go to Isaiah chapter 8, starting with verse 9. This is what Isaiah wrote. He says, Be broken, you peoples, and be shattered. Give ear, all you far countries. These are the countries who are coming to attack Israel. Strap on your armor and be shattered. Strap on your armor and be shattered. Take counsel together, but it will come to nothing. Speak a word, but it will not stand, for God is with us. See, the first thing that we know about the remnant is the fact that God is with them. And because God is with them, they can live in confidence, and we, we can live in this idea of providential grace. It's not that we, you know, if God is with us, who can be against us, right? We say that verse, and yes, that is true. But that doesn't mean that our lives are going to be without struggles. God allows struggles in our lives to teach us, to help us grow. It's not that we're, it's not that we're going to have these perfect lives where everything is working out, everything is perfect, everything is awesome. There's going to be trials. There are going to be a lot of good things, though. Uh, somebody, somebody asked me one time, they said, well, you know, why do, we, why do Christians always have bad lives? Why is it so difficult? I'm thinking, you know, if this life was perfect, I don't think I'd want to be in heaven. Because how could you top it? How could you top it? 
So God, but see, the great thing about it is if God is with us, we know that no matter what comes our way, we will persevere. It's, it's not that the world, life gets us down and, and no, we, we can say, yes, I, I'm struggling right now, you know, my back is killing me, my, you know, everything's gone wrong in my life, but you know what? God is still good. That is having God with us. We can sit there, we can look at what's going on in the world and we'll say, bring it on. Bring it on. I said that a few times during the whole COVID thing. I said, bring it on. Come on. If God's going to take me, he's going to take me. If it's not going to be COVID, it's going to be something else. Let me get over it. I'm not going to be afraid. We, can't, we cannot be afraid of things in this world. Now, we don't, like I say, we're not stupid. I'm not, I'm not going rock climbing anytime soon without ropes. I'm not going skydiving anytime soon, okay? I know my limits. But if, if I felt God saying it's time to go skydiving, I'll go skydiving. I'll do whatever he tells me to do. But understand, we can live a confident life knowing that God's got this. And we do that because we can experience his presence with us. We're going to see in these verses, we saw that previously actually, we saw that uh, King Ahaz and the people had heard that the armies, we talked about this last week, the armies of the Northern Alliance were attacking them. And what did they do? They were shuddering. They were afraid. They were scared. Wait a minute. God's people were scared. They had no reason to be. Full of fear. But see, what the remnant will say will say, fine, whatever. I'll deal with it. God, God will get me through it. He'll either get me through it or take me home. One of the two. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And they can do that because they have God with them. If we go to the book of Psalms, Psalm 21, this one says, Your hand will find out all your enemies. Your right hand will find out all those who hate you. You will make them as a blazing oven when you appear. This is talking about when Christ returns. He said, The Lord will swallow them up with his wrath, and fire will consume them. You will destroy their descendants from the earth and their offspring from among the children of man. Though they plan evil against you, though they devise mischief, they will not succeed, for you will put them to to flight. You will aim at their faces with your bows. Be exalted, O Lord, in your strength. We will sing the praise of your power. People say, well, oh man, look at look what Putin's doing, isn't Man, I'm like, he'll answer for it one day. God will take care of it. Well, what about Zelensky? What about the stuff he's done? Yeah, you're right. God will take care of it. What about the World Economic Forum? Yep, God's going to take care of it. He was single one of them, too. What about Biden? Yep. What about Trump? Yep. Nobody, nobody escapes. Nobody. And the only reason why we are not going to be judged harshly is because we believe in Christ and we trust Him for our salvation and we're forgiven and we've repented of our sins, which means we don't do them anymore. Doesn't mean we're not tempted, we're redeemed. We can live confidently without fear of what the world's going to throw at us. Because our hope is in this ever-presence of God. I'll never leave you or forsake you. He's here with us constantly. And he has a plan for all of creation. 
Now the remnant also, not only are they in the presence of God, but they also know the fear of God. Look what it says in verses 11-15 of Isaiah 8. He says, For the Lord spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me, and warned me not to walk in the way of this people. God's saying, don't be afraid. Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy, and do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. And he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many shall stumble on it, they shall fall and be broken, and they shall be snared and taken. You know, there's, there's plenty of things in this world that cause us fear. I mean, we've got illnesses, we have wars going on, we have crime increasing, we have terrorists, death. And it's not that we should be without fear. I mean, fear is actually sometimes pretty healthy. Fear kind of keeps me from going 150 miles an hour down the highway. Okay? Not necessarily fear of the, the bubble lights in the back of my, behind my car telling me to pull over, as much as fear of losing control and killing myself. You know, most of us don't intentionally put ourselves into positions where we're going to be seriously harmed. Though there are some who have been called to do so. There are some who have been called right now to go over to the Ukraine and do mission work. Or to go to Poland and do mission work for those, those um, refugees from the Ukraine. Poland's just right there. Who knows what's going to happen? They could be attacked tomorrow. Some people are called to do that. It has more to do about our approach to it. We cannot overlook God in the circumstances of our lives. I think too many times it's too easy when we're, and when we're going through our daily parts of our lives for us just to put God on the back burner. Yeah, I know, I, I read my Bible this morning, okay, I'm good. Now I can go out throughout my day, I get my day done. And we kind of put him on the back burner and kind of forget about him throughout the day. We can't do that. God needs to be part of our daily, daily lives. Every part of it. We must see that God is working in and through all the events of our lives. All the things that are swirling around us, God is working in them. He's leading people into our paths. He's keeping people out of our paths. And in the process of our fear of God stabilizes our approach to life. So what is it? What is this idea of you know we fear of God? What does it look like? Well, first of all, what it says in Isaiah is that we should we should see God as being holy. We need to regard God as holy. See, when we fear God, we treat God as God. I think sometimes, too many times, we treat God as just this this vending machine that we can call Him when we need Him. But God is God. We don't respond to life in a way that makes God out. We make Him out to be weak, worthless, helpless. In reality, He's none of those things.
You know, don't, don't fear the one who can kill the body, but fear the one who can condemn the soul to hell. I mean, God is God. God is creator. God is all. He's everything to us. If God is God, then it is he that finally matters. All these things, I mean, I've got a lot of things in my life that I have to concentrate on and think about. You know, in the grand scheme of things, all those things take second place to God. They're not important. It doesn't matter where I, well, I shouldn't say that because it does matter where I put things in the refrigerator because my wife has certain things she wants in certain places and I have certain things I want in certain places. But in the grand scheme of things, all that really doesn't matter. What matters is God. Who is he in my life? Do I trust him? Do I have fear of him? Do I honor him in his glory? See, God is unavoidable. No matter if we believe he exists or not. I love it when an atheist says, well, I don't believe in God. I don't believe that God exists. You know, that really doesn't matter. Because he does. And one day you'll find out. And it'll be too late. It doesn't matter whether you believe he exists or not. He does. He is unavoidable. And he deserves our respect and our fear. We need to treat God as God. The remnant is also set apart by the truth of God. Verses 16 through 18 of Isaiah 8. It says, Bind up the testimony. Seal the teaching among the disciples. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob. And I will hope in him. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are signs and portents in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. What had happened is God had given them the law and he spoke to them through the prophets. They had God's word. They had the law. They had the prophets. And they brushed them away. They had the truth. And they didn't value it. So the word of God is going to be bound up for later generations. Raise your hand if you're a later generation. That's all of us, by the way. It was bound up for us. The remnant will treasure God's word and find hope in God himself. Psalm 119 tells us that the word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have terrible eyesight. These bif- I, hate bif- I hate my glasses. If it's dark, I mean, I've got to be very careful. I have to look down to step off of this because I, I just can't see. And the first time I fell, I was walking out and it was dark. And I went to step and there was no step there and I went down to the ground and fell. I don't fall as graceful as I used to. And I don't get up as quickly as I used to. But see, when it's dark, I can't see. But when I have a light, and I love the lights today because they're powerful, you know. Thousand candle light, you know. Basically, I could get a suntan underneath it. And I'll go outside in the dark and I'll put my light on. We don't we, we push the dark away. We don't we don't want to be anywhere where there's no light. Well, you know, this world is dark. This world is is is, is not just it's just over enveloping dark. It's closing in on us. You know the only thing that, that destroys the darkness, that pushes the darkness back, is light. Thy word is light. A lamp to my feet and a light to my path. 
how we approach and what our attitude is towards God's word is a reflection of our feelings toward the one who gave us his word. I always tell my kids, I say, listen, I want you to trust me. I want you to do what I tell you to do because when you don't do what I tell you to do, that shows me you don't respect me. Now, the day will come, I know, where they won't do what I tell them to do and they're still respecting me because they're adults now and I have to respect them. But how we approach, how we look at God's word, how we feel about God's word is how we feel about God. If we don't value God's word, we don't value God. Proverbs tells us that every, Proverbs 30 says, tells us every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. See, the majority of people in Isaiah's day had chosen darkness instead of light. They were hypocrites. Because they still thought that they were the children of God and nothing could harm them. It says in verse 19 of Isaiah 80, it says, it says, and when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter. I don't know whether you know this or not, but there's a lot of people in this world today who are, are searching for answers and searching through mediums. A necromancer is somebody who, who talks to the dead. It, it's rampant. And it's coming in the church too at times. And I love it, it says that they chirp and mutter. We got chickens in our garage right now, and every time we go out there, they chirp. I have no idea what they're saying. Huh? Yeah, you can figure it out. But I can't talk to them, you know. I don't think chickens are exactly deep theological thinkers, so. But it says, they chirp and they mutter. Should not a people inquire of their God? They're not inquiring of God. They're going to the necromancers and the mediums. Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? God kind of outlawed that, made that wrong back in Deuteronomy. To the teaching and to the testimony. If they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. What happens at the dawn? Think about this. It's a great image. I, I, love, I, I love seeing the sunrise. I don't like getting up early enough to see a sunrise. Okay? But I love when the sun peeks up over the horizon and it just starts getting bright. It's saying they don't have this. It's gone. There's no dawn in their life. They will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. We all know people like this. Always stressed, never fulfilled, Searching, never finding, searching in the wrong places. And when they are hungry, they will, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their face upward. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. Now before we, you know, as believers, as, as people who, who claim that we're, we are children of God, and we got to be careful not to be too prideful and look down on people who are struggling like this. Isaiah, I'm sure, was breaking his heart 
because he saw this in a lot of the people. Now, there was a remnant. There were people who were being were faithful to God, but for, for the most part, a large portion of them were not. And it was breaking his heart as it broke God's heart. Today we have a hypocrite problem in the church. And we should have because, you know, we, need, we are sinners. We're broken. We want hypocrites to come to hear the gospel so it changes their lives. But there are some who don't want to hear the truth. They're turning to pagan practices, even going so far as calling themselves Christian psychics. You can hear that term out there. There's no such thing as a Christian psychic, by the way. See, our only hope is in the teaching and the testimony. And we need to run to it. And we need to hold tightly to it. We need to know it. Frontwards, backwards, upside down. We need to write it on our hearts. Why? So that we may not sin against God. It's not a matter of just having the truth. The Israelites had it. We have it. There's nobody, nobody in this country can claim, well, I just don't have access to a Bible. Hmm. Yeah, the Bible is still the, the most printed and purchased book. They don't put it on the New York Times bestseller list anymore because it's still, people are buying them and putting them in. You go to a hotel room, they still have them in hotel rooms, most of them. Nobody can claim that they don't have access. There's a church on almost every corner. Some of them not so good, yes, but if the Holy Spirit is leading somebody, they can find it. But see, the Israelites had it, and they didn't value it. I'm afraid that's what's happening in our society today. Paul, he warned us, he warned Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.3, he says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Because if we don't hold true to God's gospel, if we don't hold it as a, as a, as a certain place in our lives, we're going to end up like the Israelites, having no dawn, not no illumination inside of us at all. You know, there's a big difference between real and unreal faith. And the difference is as much as darkness and light. See, in God's grace, he keeps a remnant. And he's going to give them wisdom that is far and above the revelation of the knowledge of God that he reveals in his word. It's going to be even greater than that. We haven't even begun to understand everything. One day we will. He's going to take his remnant and we will understand all of this plus. I'm waiting for that day. Because it says we'll be known as we are known. When we're standing in the presence of God, we'll understand it all. And we'll still have more and more to learn. We'll understand all of this, and there'll be even more to experience in the presence of God. This is what Paul prayed for the church at Ephesus. In Ephesians 1, he says, That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom, and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. That has to be illumination. That you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. 
What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? We need God's word. We need to hold it in a special place. The truth. You shall know the truth. It'll set you free. Free from sin. Free from yourself. See, ultimately what's going to happen is the remnant. The remnant will be triumphant. The remnant will be the one who overcomes. In Isaiah 9, it says, But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. See, being a part of the remnant doesn't mean you're not going to have troubles in your life. It means that you're going to have anguish, but God is greater, and we need to look forward to what's going to happen as part of his remnant. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light, those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You see, God is going to come. God is revealing here, he's revealing where the Messiah is going to come first. Where he's going to come from. And God is going to come to those who have suffered most. In our suffering, if we are suffering, God is there because God has compassion on us in our suffering. Because he suffered. He suffered through Jesus Christ on the cross. Greater, greater suffering than we could ever imagine. Because see, what would happen is whenever, whenever Israel was attacked, the enemies would usually come from the north, unless it was Egypt, and they'd come from the south. But normally, like the Assyrians, the Babylonians, they'd come up over and come down. And usually the first place to be attacked was Galilee. Galilee knew slavery, and they knew despair. But God would turn their weeping into laughter and making Galilee the first to be the first ones to experience the light of Jesus Christ. You know, God, when, when Christ came, God began ushering in a new season of grace. And see, you and I had nothing to do with it. Nothing we did made that happen. Nothing we do makes it happen in our lives. I can't be a better person. God makes me better. It's Him who does it in me. As I said, when we stand in His presence, we're going to look back at everything that God has done and we'll say, we didn't do that, He did. That's why I said we'll throw our crowns at His feet. It, it's Jesus who did it all, not me. But God ushers in this, this era of grace. It's God who did this. And he continues to do this in our lives. Verse 3 says, You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. The you who's doing this is God. Spreading his light to more and more people. Now, could, I want you to imagine, you know, we're, we're kind of, we get kind of... Um, I guess comfortable in having God's word, but I want you to imagine that you're you're living in Corinth, a very pagan town, or Ephesus, and and you hear the story of the gospel, and a light shines on you. We lost that, I think, a little bit, because they see that, and it just spreads. 
And it spreads not just to the Jews, but to the Gentiles. A new nation is being formed. The remnant is going to be multiplied into a great multitude that no one can number. We see that in Revelation 7, 9-10. And see, being part of that remnant brings us so much joy. It's not just this meager happiness. It's not. It's not the. It's, you know, I, I get joy out of eating a bowl of ice cream with chocolate on it. That's. Not, I mean, that's that's happiness for me. But that's nothing compared to the joy of knowing that I'm part of the remnant of God. I enjoy things in this world, but it's nothing compared to being a remnant, being part of His remnant. Because when we have that, we have joy overflowing, bountiful, exciting. And that's how we should live. Even in our trials, we should still have joy unspeakable and full of glory, right? Song I grew up on. That's how we need to live our lives. Verses 4 through 7. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder and the rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tolman and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and the peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. We have multiple prophecies here. We have prophesying the Messiah coming and when we have the prophecy of the Messiah coming again. Second coming of Christ. The, the burden of sin is broken. At the cross, it was broken. We are no longer chained to our sins. We are liberated. The enemy is in a panic. He's desperate. He knows his time is short. Not only will he be defeated, but he'll have his final end. He will be no more. And what has done this? Who has done this? God, in his zeal, has done this by giving us his son, Jesus Christ. The empire of grace will forever be expanding. God's empire will continue to expand. It'll never stop expanding. We say, how could that be? Oh, God is not held by time and place. <laughs> It'll forever be expanding. There'll be you no. Know, well, what are we going to do? What are we going to do in heaven? Oh, oh. <laughs> you, 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 there's nothing that can explain what we're going to experience in heaven, and it'll always be something new, constant. And we will glorify God in the process. We can live in faith in Him in the here and now, accepting the weaknesses of the cross as our strength of what the world calls folly as our wisdom. We, we can look at the cross and say, that may seem crazy to the world, but it is for me is joy. Because I am now redeemed, forgiven. I'm a remnant, part of the remnant. And I'm going to experience God forever. And if we live like God is God today, we're going to live in triumph. We're going to enjoy His triumph on the cross and live in His kingdom that will be forever expanding. 
there will never come a time when we will experience the limit of God and of his kingdom in Christ. And what will do this? The zeal of the Lord will do this. His zeal for us. Let's pray. Thank you for joining us today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. If you're watching on YouTube, please like this video as it will help in spreading this message into the global online community. Please consider subscribing to our page so that you will receive notices when we post new messages. If you're watching this on Rumble, please hit the Rumble button for this video so that the gospel can be spread into the Rumble community. Also, consider subscribing to our Rumble channel. You can also listen to our podcast on Amazon Music and Apple Podcasts. We hope you have a blessed day.